When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now, before we start our chat, we want you to head over to setiaochronicles.com forward slash Patreon now and subscribe to the Chronicles to Fosi membership with a free seven-day trial. Get priority access to every episode and voice note before the rest of the world. Plus, no ads and bonus Patreon-only exclusive episodes and video episodes. Mm. Also, be sure to join the new chat community in the Patreon app and chat with fellow subscribers. Welcome back, everyone, for a special episode of the Serie Chronicles podcast. Uh, with the Derby d'Italia coming up this weekend, we wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive into the history of this fixture and this rivalry and really just in particular look at a few years when this, again, rivalry between two clubs who um, have dominated Italian football has ended up being decisive in the title race. Nikki Bandini here is always with Mina Rizuki and Patrick Kendrick. Before we sort of get into the meat of this, uh, I realise we have listeners of all different levels of familiarity with Italian football. So some people might not really understand why it's even called the Derby d'Italia. That specific framing for this fixture, the Derby d'Italia means the Derby of Italy. And it, it just dates back to the 1960s and Gianni Brera, who was this very famous, very influential Italian sports writer, who at the time was really just referencing the fact that these two teams were at that moment, the dominant force in Italian football. These are the teams that tended to win the league most years. And um, the rivalry really sort of escalated even after he'd first introduced that phrase. Pereira introduced all sorts of phrases into the Italian sporting lexicon. He was that level of influence. But I, I think there was this sort of particularly influential moment, perhaps in 1961, where you had this game at the time, perhaps not universally viewed as a derby in the same way that it is now, this game between uh, Juventus and Inter in Turin, which gets abandoned because of uh, Juventus fans getting too close to the pitch. And uh, Inter initially awarded the win at Tavolino. They're given the, the, the win. And then what ends up happening is after some protests, Juventus managed to get a decision to replay the game. Inter already under the control of the Maratti family, of course. It was Angelo Maratti back then. His son, Massimo Maratti, ends up being the, the owner in the, the, the 2000s, 90s, 2000s. And uh, you see these two families already developing this power struggle. But at that moment, Juventus were able to get the game replayed. It's uh, Inter refused to send their first team, send a youth team. They lose 9-1 in a game that has all sorts of knock-on implications because uh, Omar Sivori uh, scored six goals in that game. 
and therefore wins the Capo Caniniere, therefore becomes Italy's entrance to the Ballon d'Or, which I think is a fun story because actually if it wasn't for that, it probably would have been Sampdoria striker Sergio Brienti, who was the top scorer at that point and who would have been Italy's nomination for the Ballon d'Or because that was how it worked back then. So all of these stories that spill off this are fascinating. Anyway, that 9-1, I think, was one of those moments where this stopped just being a game between two teams who were successful and became the startings of, no, we, we hate that team. They, they do mischievous things and, and we have reasons to, to feel enmity for each other. Of course, later, more recent history, Calciopoli becomes a whole bigger thread of this rivalry. 2006, uh, not quite match-fixing scandal. That's how it's often described, but it was actually about influence behind the scenes and decisions about referees. And it's way too complicated to get into in full now, but more layers to that because, of course, at the time it was raised that the wiretaps that were used to catch out uh, Juventus directors, and in particular Luciano Moggi, were at the time run by Marco Tronchetti Provera, the president of Inter's sponsor, Pirelli. So there's a lot of history in this tie. I thought I would the introduce... wheels of power. Yes, uh, I would introduce so people understand why it's got this particular status in Italian football beyond just the fact that these are two successful teams. Of course, Juventus, far and away the most successful team domestically in Italy, historically. And I think the more recent moment in time to throw back to that perhaps feels like one of the biggest ones in the history of this tie was the derby from the 26th of April, 1998. At the time, Juventus and Inter were separated by just a single point on the table. Juventus top, Inter snapping at their heels. It's April, so we're close to the end of the season. And it felt like a moment for Inter to try and overhaul them, get their noses in front and win the league title. And I've been speaking for a while, so I'm going to throw to Patrick here, who can tell us what happened on 26th of April, 1998. <laughs> what didn't happen, to be honest? That was, uh, <laughs> as you said, match day 31 in a, in a 34-game season. Juventus went into it on 65, uh, 66 points, one clear of Inter. There was already controversy the previous week when Juventus won at Empoli, albeit there was a goal from Empoli which wasn't awarded, a ghost goal. The ball appeared to go over the line, Peruzzi clawed it away. So Juventus went into the match top of the table because of that slightly contentious decision. Um, what a lot of people forget is that given Juventus started this match a point clear, the onus was on Inter to try and win the match to go above them. But when all of the controversy comes to pass, Juventus were actually already in, in the lead. There was a great goal from Alessandro Del Piero who was one of the best players in Italy, if not in Europe at, at that stage. It was the sort of subplot to it was Del Piero of, of Juventus and Ronaldo of Inter. Uh, Inter had made it through to the UEFA Cup final. Juventus made it through to the Champions League final. And uh, these were two of the standout players for the best two teams in the league. And they were, Juventus were 10 points clear of Lazio. Inter were nine points clear of third place as well. So it was really down to these two sides. And Juventus lead by a goal to nil. Ronaldo breaks into the box, nudges it away from Mark Giuliano, gets absolutely scythed down. It's a sort of shoulder charge, but Ronaldo gets the ball first. Juliano steps across him, knocks him over. I love that on the Italian commentary, even the Italian commentary from the time, they switch to English and they start calling him Bodicek. 
Yes, they do. Body check. I watched that same clip earlier on. Absolutely. Juventus Torricelli in lotta con Ronaldo. C'è anche Samorano che entra in area. Ronaldo si allarga. Body check su di lui. Juventus allontana con Torricelli. Massimo. No, no, per me non è da calcio di rigore. È entrato in campo anche Soni, ma non si può. Non so se le immagini ce lo mostrano. Simone è 15 metri dentro il campo. Eccolo qui. Esatto, esatto. And the penalty is not given by the referee uh, Ceccarini, if, if memory serves. And then uh, they go down the other end, Juventus. In the meantime, Juventus break forward into lose their heads because they're absolutely outraged at the miscarriage of justice unfurling. Bef- can the miscarriage of justice unfurl? Uh, you know what I mean. They're sort of <laughs> unraveling before their eyes. Uh, Gigi Simoni, who's the Inter head coach, runs onto the pitch, which already then sort of adds another layer of drama to already a very dramatic match in a very dramatic country with people with, you know, sort of hair-triggered hair temperaments at the best of times. And then Juventus break into the box on the counter-attack and, uh, and Del Piero is, is fouled by Teribo West, I think. Grande elettricità delle Alpi, fischia Ceccarini, parte Del Piero, destro, para Pagliuca e allontana Colonnese. Juventus then missed the penalty, but not before Simoni's been sent off and it's all sort of, there's been players surrounding the referee and eventually the game, I think, ends 1-0. Juventus go four points clear and, and win the, the title that season by five points. And it's, it's a strange one because it, it's held up as Juventus being the system into being cheated out of a title, but... I think, you know, you have to actually go back and look at the match situation. Maybe Inter get a penalty. Maybe they score the penalty. Uh, We've talked on our main pod this week about the fact even when you get a penalty, there's no guarantee you necessarily score it. (laughs) Um, So, you know, in a parallel universe, who knows? Maybe Inter get, you know, Ronaldo wins a penalty. Inter score the penalty. They go one all. I think it was around 20 minutes remaining. And then Inter go on and score again and move ahead of Juventus and go on to win the title. But there's also a potential scenario whereby Inter get a penalty, they score the penalty and equalise. Juventus stay a point clear and Juventus win out their remaining three matches to still be champions anyway. I'm sorry if that's a really sort of tepid, unromantic vision of things, but I think it's often overlooked, to be honest, in the history of this match. Mina, as our resident Juventina, could you explain for us... uh, how exactly this game was completely rigged by Juventus. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, don't buy into conspiracy theories. I think Calciopoli told us a lot about um, how things were governed in Serie A prior to that. Um, I do have one thing to say about all of this in, in the sense that this was the second game between these two teams. But in the first game, I would say that Juventus were cheated out of their own penalty. And I don't feel like that ever is referred to. And I und- listen, if I'm an Inter fan, I would be going crazy at what happened in 1998. That was a full-on body check. And so I totally understand that there was a penalty that should have been given there and that they didn't get. And the outrage of then Juventus going forward and they be given a penalty. And at the time, the referee came out and said that he would put his life on the line because that was never a penalty. That was never a penalty because he felt that it was Ronaldo who had actually fouled Giuliano. (laughs) So I don't know whether he, I mean, I'm sure, 
it seems bizarre to me that he so doubled down on it and he was going crazy about it at the time. Um, it's also a game that spurned three investigative journalists to write a book around the game um, called Clean Feet. <laughs> and so, and it was just all about like, the madness of it all. It also spurned a thousand of books from Milanistas at the time who said that no matter what happens, Inter can't win. It's it's a game that changed a lot in the history. I mean, honestly, there are so many books that are written about this and about 2002, and I find it incredible. But I think sometimes what we don't, we focus a lot on one game rather than we focus on the whole season and how that was played. And while I agree, and I totally will always agree that Juventus were somewhat helped in that match, if, if, if I was to put it politely. It should also be noted that Inter missed a thousand opportunity that should have put the result beyond all doubt, but they didn't. And they were wasteful. Whereas Juve were... I think so. What we always, I, yeah, I, 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 think I didn't watch the full 90 match. minutes back, but watching the highlights back, it, what struck me is that Inter actually didn't create that many good chances. Ronaldo, every time he's on the ball, this is the original Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, of course. He's a majestic footballer. And when he's on the ball, you feel that frisson of, oh God, he could just do anything. But actually like the, the shots he had in the game that went close were mostly from outside the box, free kicks. There weren't many moments when he really got behind that defensive Torricelli, Giuliano and Montero and Pasotto. Actually, you're right, because the chances probably at the time when I used to think of them as being good chances were chances that weren't. So I don't know what they would rate when it came to XG. I wish we had XG and then we could have actually XG, looked to see that. <laughs> but I sort of want to just give you the, the the lowdown on what it was at the time, because this was the most magnificent, one of the most magnificent seasons in Serie A, because at that time, Del Piero was at the height of his glory. He was absolutely delectable to, like, delightful to watch. It was next season that he would end up having a knee problem that would take him out and Juventus finished terribly. But that, that year, Del Piero was at his optimum best. He was stunning to watch. It was also the year that Inter had invested to bring obviously Brazilian Ronaldo and they had broken all transfer records. There was so much criticism of them investing that money from obviously very jealous people who felt like, why can they spend all this money on Ronaldo? And it was the first game of the season and Inter had this young Uruguayan and Alvaro Ricoba and everyone is watching Ronaldo, but it was Ricoba that stole the limelight in that first match of the season, going on to become one of my favorite ever players to watch in Serie A. He always remained an enigma because he never lived up to the expectations because when he was on, he was so beautiful to watch, but unfortunately he wasn't able to show us that at all times. A little bit like Rafael Leao, I would say. But <laughs> um, that year, it was also the year where we had Parma and Carlo Ancelotti and he was just having a terrible season over there. We had Pep Guardiola. We had Roberto Baggio. It was one of those seasons in Serie A when you think it's the ultimate, like the best league in the world. And these two teams just created so beautifully with packed with stars all over from, you know, Zidane to, to obviously, you know, Ronaldo and Rakoba. And it was just stunning to watch. But that game in particular, I, I will say that if you look overall during the season, Maybe what I can say is that Inter missed a lot of chances in a lot of their games over the season as well. I didn't always see the very best of them at that time, considering the level of talent they had. I think what was most astonishing was the fact that their coach, Gigi Simoni, just like you said, Patrick, who was always known to be this quiet guy, you know, this this just lost his mind and was screaming, shame, shame, at the, co at the referee. 
Because he's he's not he's not just like out of his technical area like we would have now. Because of course he didn't really have technical areas then. He was just he's just in the middle of the pitch, playing the right, back through, right back through right back isn't he? Yeah, almost absolutely. <laughs> just to pick up what Mina just said, um, both teams drew their next game. Like this is one of those sort of other things that happens after this game. Both teams draw nil nil, and against teams you'd think they should beat. Juventus drew with Vicenza, Inter, Inter drew with. Uh, Juventus drew with Vicenza, Inter drew with Piacenza, both nil-nil. So even after this, you wonder if there was an opportunity for, for the story to change. Um, but obviously, with Juventus having been a point clear to begin with, um, winning it does mean that gap widens to four points and you're very close to the end of that point. So psychologically, it is definitely a, a hammer blow once you get that result sealed. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add on this one or if we should spin forward just four years from there to 2002 and this is almost one to discuss in two parts because there's the derby and then there's the the last day of the season um the the, the derby which is played on the 9th of march was a, a two-all draw between inter and juventus at san siro inter were a point clear at this time so it's kind of the same situation but reversed that we just had in 1998 four years later now the, the, it's it's inter who are in the driving seat and this opportunity to do exactly what Juventus did and go four points clear if they can win this game. And I thought this is a, a very different game. Um, so Marcello Lippi still on the bench for, for Juventus, but uh, Inter are now managed by Hector Cooper. Um, and where the other game was tight and defensively governed, I suppose, this one was really open from the start. Both teams just completely going at each other. And Clarence Seedorf opens the scoring for, for Inter with a, a spectacular volley after just six minutes. Trezga equalised in the 13th minute. Inter almost retake the lead immediately. Recoba gets down to the byline and cuts the ball towards Vieri. Ends up with Mark, um, not Marcus Turam, Lilian Turam, running back towards his own goal, sliding in to stop it, hits the post for Juventus, and what is one of these perfectly sort of players in fateful positions at fateful moments uh, scenarios. The ball goes out and actually hits Juliana on the arm. So in today's rules, definitely a handball. In those days' rules, not a handball. But I thought that was a a, a neat little sort of moment of certain people always finding themselves in these positions in history. Anyway, game goes on, Turam gets injured, Igatuda comes on for Juventus, plays brilliantly, scores a goal, puts them 2-1 up. And then in injury time, just when you think Juventus have delivered this huge blow in, in the title race, Clarence Sadoff scores an, an extraordinary goal. He's 35 yards out and he, there's no backlift, there's no warning. Yes, Juventus should probably close him down, but he's far enough out, you've got Buffon in goal. <laughs> And he just hammers it in and you think, okay, they didn't win. But when you put this in the context of what we've been talking about with this year's title race and then that year's title race in 1998, that feels like it should be the momentum moment for Inter. Okay, we've survived this scare. Juventus came here, they nearly took it away from us, but we got out with the win, uh, with the draw, sorry. Um, but it doesn't go that way, does it? Because then we go to the last day of the season and, and things go in a different direction. 
Head to seriachronicles.com forward slash Patreon now and subscribe to the Chronicles Tifosi Patreon membership with a free seven-day trial. Get early access to every full-length episode and voice note before the rest of the world. Plus, all episodes are 100% ad-free. And you get bonus Patreon-only exclusive episodes, video episodes, and behind-the-scenes extras. Also, be sure to join the new chat community in the Patreon app and chat with fellow subscribers. Sports Social Podcast Network.